Hey guys, welcome back to another episode in the AltMed podcast series. With me as always, my co-host Mitch Kurtz. How are you doing, Mitch? Very well, thank you. Good to be back. Um, and very special guest today um, who hails from the Bellingen Healing Center. It is Dr. Gull Hertzberg. Welcome. Hello. Thanks, Andrew. Mitch, nice to be with you. Actually, um, just to clarify, that's that's one of the places that I work. It's not the oh. only one. So just to, nice. where, where I certainly held from the Bellingen region. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Gull from uh, hails from yeah, Belgian proper. Where, where, <laughs> where, um, where would we say that you also work? Nice one. Well, I've got one of my the main practice is in coughs at Southern Cross Medical Specialists. So, uh, if anyone was actually going to try and find me, that's where they would. But you know, um, yeah, no, I like it. Very cool. Just up um, the road. So how long, you, your name has come up a few times when we've been talking with doctors about other doctors who were kind of part of that first wave of doctors prescribing cannabis in Australia. Um, yeah, maybe can you talk to us about your background and, and how you fell into this space and, and your interests? Sure. Um, well, I've, you know, I've been a GP for over 20 years. And um, I've always been integrative in my approach, meaning that, you know, pretty much anything's potentially on the table. Um, and I try to treat my patient as a whole in whatever way and ways that I can or help them and work with other practitioners. And very variably over the years, someone's come in and come up with something sort of relatively left field when I ask them how I can help them or what they help, what they want help with. And um, yeah, in, in 2017, um, some, I said the same, how can I help you today? And they said, oh, can I, I want you to prescribe cannabis for me. I'm like, what? I can't do that. And they told me, yes, you can. So I looked it up. Um, turns out I could. I mean, it wasn't that easy back then. It's much easier now. Um, but I was very interested in that because I've, I've known a lot of people that use cannabis in a very, very cool, various ways. And it was quite clear that it was helping them Usually mood-wise, I didn't really know people with pain issues at that point um, or not that my patients were telling me. But anyway, um, I kind of followed that, did a course that was down at um, NAAM in, in Melbourne, um, College of GP approved and basically went, you know, from there to there. Um, just just rolled with it and here we are four and a half years later. That yeah, is definitely. Yeah. Seems like um, the, the integrative space has taken it on particularly, I'd say, more so potentially than, than other um, areas of, of medicine these days. We see NIM has really, you know, become kind of the, um, the forefront of, of the scene in terms of, you know, approving doctors and, and, and all that. And um, it seems that it's kind of found its way from alternative medicine, but tracking into conventional medicine, would you say it's reaching that point yet? Or are we, do you see cannabis getting to that point at any time in the future? Oh, I can see it certainly getting there. I mean, you know, I'm a doctor officially and I prescribe cannabis as a medicine alongside, you know, all the other things that I do. Um, I get referrals from other doctors, including some specialists, which is, and I know some of my colleagues do as well, um, which is very gratifying because there are people who've been through literally the full gamut of treatment. I mean, especially in the pain area, um, you know, with surgery and injections and implants and all number of medications 
and whether they've found cannabis themselves or um, they've heard that it might help them, those people often seek cannabis out as a, as a medicine and we're using it. And if, the, if someone's been referred to me and I prescribe something for them, I write back to the referring doctor and say, look, this is what we're doing. We keep it very official and they get to see the patient over time. I mean, most of the patients that I see get, when, when we're seeing improvement in someone, everybody that sees that patient starts to get their eyes open to it. And I think, you know, there are some people that refer and then they get repeat referrals. Even if that doctor's not comfortable taking cannabis on themselves as a prescriber, they're very comfortable saying, hey, go and see Gull. He knows what he's doing. Um, he could probably help you. So that is already, um, you know, in the conventional world, there's, there is a level of acceptance. And there are others I know from patients who come and see me and say, you know, I told my doctor about, I asked my doctor what they thought of cannabis and they said, oh, that's a lot of rubbish. That's not going to help you at all. Um, but they came anyway. So there's, you know, there are new, many different opinions. But I think with time and with the test of time and people improving um, without negative consequences or without so many negative consequences, the balance of benefit versus risk is um, tipping in the favour of benefit. And so people are using it more and more. So, yeah, that's where we're at today. And it's still relatively early days, as you know. That's exciting. The uh, You'd mentioned before about how difficult it was back in 2017 when you you know were writing your first prescriptions. What, I guess, if, if we've got any patients listening now who might be, you know, suffering a chronic medical condition, sleep disorder, pain, anxiety, what is the process for them today? As at 2021, what, what, what is it going to look like if they come to see you and they, you know, are seeking access to try medical cannabis? Well, the, the, the questions to ask really are, A, have you got a problem? And it doesn't matter what that problem is. If you've got a problem and you've tried to resolve that problem using what would generally generally regarded, be regarded as some, um, you know, appropriate management strategies. So as we, I mentioned before for pain, you know, a range of medications, psychological therapies, possibly physical and surgical, who name, you name it. Um, but it doesn't have to be the full range. It's just, have you given it a decent go? Then cannabis is not going to be a first line treatment and, and, that's what the TGA say. You're not allowed to use cannabis as the first line treatment. So once it's second or third or fifth or 10th line, that person is in the right room. So pretty much everybody that I see has already been through a huge range. If they come and see me and they've got a letter from their GP or, and or you know, some health summary, which gives me corroborative evidence. So they don't just come and say, hey, doc, you know, yeah, I've got back pain. I've tried all these things and I just take it on face value. That's a bit harder for me to work with. If I've got corroborative evidence from other health professionals that I can put in my notes that's auditable, that there's no question this person has gone through this process, they're in the right room. We can get started straight away. And, and most of the time, people that I see have got all that with them. We work out you know, what their problems are, what they've tried, and what sort of cannabis products might benefit them. And then we just dive into their understanding of cannabis. So it's actually not that difficult. You mm. know? Um, that's how I see it. And well, how do you feel about the fact that it is not a first-line therapy? Do you think there are any issues if it were to be um, reclassified as the first-line therapy? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's a bit of a political hot potato. I mean, one of the things, there are many who think that cannabis equals THC equals getting stoned equals psychosis. It's bad and nobody should ever touch it. You know, there's a group like that. And some of those people are probably in positions of, of significant influence in, in legislation or, you know, policy. Um, then there are uh, another bunch of people that can see that it probably doesn't do too much harm. And I don't know what the stats are in people using cannabis in Australia generally, but most people have tried cannabis without any serious negative effects. It's about um, one, one in but 10. Because it's not a pharmaceutical. Yeah. I mean, so that's, you know, that's a fair number of people. Um, mm. But I think for something to become really acceptable in the medical world, it's really got to tip a long way. I mean, there's some stat about a research finding being published in the medical literature taking 17 years to reach frontline day-to-day use in the medical world now that was probably you know pre-google um but it's still we're talking about a relatively conservative and cautious mindset appropriately because we don't want to hurt people um and i think that the sense that cannabis can do damage is something that stops a lot of people from using it or prescribing it um with time that I think that will probably change. The legalities of driving is a really big issue. We may touch on that. So there, there are reasons why people wouldn't want to use or wouldn't use cannabis first. Um, I, that may change over time. You know, I mean, in this country, it's illegal to use it recreationally as well. So people can't access it. You know, either you access it illegally or you get it through a doctor. They're the only options. Um, I think as time goes on and more and more people are aware of what benefits people can get from cannabis and the broad range of things that cannabis is, um, then it will, again, probably tip more and more in the um, direction of broader acceptability. Yeah. And, and how, as an integrative doctor, I'm sure you, you're probably across a lot of different types of medicines, a lot of different herbal medicines. How do you find cannabis compares to other integrative medicines that are maybe a little bit, I don't want to say left field, but, but, you know, not Panadol, let's say. Um, I mean, cannabis, you know, cannabis as an entity has got many, many subcategories. So it, it can be very, very powerful. You know, a high THC indica style, you know, relaxing flower or oil that someone uses for the first time to help them sleep when they've tried lots of things, you know, valerian, melatonin, may not have helped them very much to mazepams you know a range of things and then they find a cannabis product that really helps them drop right in and get a really good night's sleep you know those people come back and go oh wow that is amazing and you know some people definitely find that and i mean when i you ask me how i find it it's really what my patients tell me so but like i said i one of the great things from my perspective about being a doctor is that I don't have to choose between something I can get, you know, from a health food shop or over the counter at a pharmacy or a prescription. I can prescribe or recommend any or all of those things. Um, And that's in terms of things that people will take, not to mention, you know, psychological approaches and physical activity and a range of things, you know, the, the work in trauma is huge these days with somatic experiencing that's really coming to the fore. And cannabis has a role in that as well. I mean, there's people do very much better very often when they're when they're using cannabis, it seems, than when they weren't. I've seen that numerous times. So from my point of view, in, in the integrative medical world, 
And that's the beauty of being integrative. That it's not like, oh, I don't do that because I'm an integrative doctor. It's like, hmm, what's that? You know, curiosity is a lead um, philosophy in our approach. And it's like, you know, as I said before, is is it is it safe? Is it accessible? Is it useful? Does it suit this person? What evidence do we have from other people that it's good? Um, and and that's the thing about cannabis. The evidence is the anecdotal evidence is is overwhelming, yeah. and the um, you know, the, the medical literature evidence is, depending on how you read it, at least favourable. Um, but it's really interesting to see most of the studies that I've looked at, they tend to just lump cannabis in as a single unit. And that's just like, you just can't do that. I mean, you, you know, you guys know, I'm sure, you basically have to do a study on a single product or a single set of molecules or a single molecule, yeah. which is very difficult to do. Um, but that's the only way you can tell whether that thing works. And because of the endocannabinoid system and the variability of human beings, what works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. And that's part of the problem with the mentality of, of you know, high level one randomized control meta-analyses. It's like, yeah, things good or not. But I mean, there's a couple of guys that won the Nobel Prize on, it wasn't to do with medicine, but just recently about real world observation in economics and listening to that and thinking, you know, that's, it's going that way a little bit in medicine, but we need to be seeing what's actually happening to people and using that to inform our activities, not making up artificial um, trials and then trying to fit people into those trial conditions. Yeah. So, I mean, that to me is black and white, obvious stuff, but I don't know how our listeners here think about that. Yeah. Well, I've got a question for you as a prescriber just around, you know, I think when cannabis is prescribed, a lot of doctors would think of either CBD or THC. As someone who kind of, you know, is curious as an integrative doctor, do you, are you paying much attention to minor cannabinoids and terpenes? Do you have a preference for prescribing patients with you know full spectrum products or broad spectrum or are you kind of all right with you know a cbd isolate product oh look good question i mean my you know as i say to my patients you know press here for the cannabis talk and when they do and i explain to them the basically the essence of it you know we know it grows as a flower on the main ones that we talk about. And the main cannabinoids we talk about are CBD and THC. And we talk about them because we know about them. I would even say, Andrew, that I, I wouldn't use the term minor cannabinoids because I think at the moment that's sort of like being judgmental about, you know, THCV. So let's say there are a range of cannabinoids and terpenes, and we know next to nothing about most of them um, individually and how they work together. There are people working on those. Uh, on the, you know, what does each one do in very specific sets of circumstances. But I definitely bring, you know, to the, even the, the cannabis naive completely, I make sure they understand that whatever I'm prescribing, even if we go for a, you know, a THC um, dominant or a, or a CBD dominant product, that there are other cannabinoids and terpenes in that product that are also influencing the effect. And one product, as I always say, when you've had one medical cannabis product, you've had one medical cannabis product, you haven't had another one. So even if it looks like it's the same, it isn't. Mm. And I'm very interested in cannabinoid and terpene profiles. Um, you know, there are what, 140 cannabinoids and over 200 terpenes. I'm not really across all of those at the moment, but um, 
I am actually building a, a, a database that hopefully will help us track the, the way that those different molecules work in the real world over time. Um, but I'm very keen to, as I said, inform my patients about those concepts. And then, you know, with CBD, there are, I do sometimes prescribe CBD isolate, but rarely. Usually I let people know that they're available. And, some, and one of my favorite case studies is, is the woman that's just on CBD. Um, but usually I prescribe um, a broad spectrum, as I call it, um, CBD oil. There is no such thing really, except for Amazon John's Formula 51, as far as I know, as a, um, a full spectrum product, because you, you know, to get all 140 cannabinoids and 200 terpenes into a single product, you'd have to extract from all known you know, varieties and put them all in the same, and probably a great thing to do. Yeah. But, <laughs> Broad spectrum, I say, you know, that's up to, but not including THC, because that means that it doesn't have the issues with driving as yeah. much as possible. Um, and each one, you know, many companies in Australia provide oils that are like that, and each one of them is going to be different. Yeah. And so how we work with that is, we'll try this one now based on, you know, cost or availability. see how it goes if it's good great always discuss endocrine sativa and some people have heard of that and it's really that's the terpene profile that's what makes them different nothing else so if it yeah. puts you to sleep it's an indicator if it wakes you up it's the sativa and, and most of the products are kind of in between but as a clinician that's hugely useful to know that um fever product that will wake them up and probably make them or possibly make them more anxious. And, you know, there's paranoia kind of problems that people can get with cannabis are, are likely to be, you know, too much sativa in someone that's too anxious, too young. So very important to be able to differentiate those. And that comes down to the entourage effect of those products. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's how I look at it. And that's, I know that's tip of the iceberg stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we think about it, endocrine and sativa are just different ways of expressing chemovars. So, um, you know, based on where they were grown at, at, at different latitudes, essentially. But um, I, it's interesting the way you say um, when you've tried one product, you've tried one product. We think the same thing. It's like if Andrew said, uh, do you want to go grab a, a drink this evening? And I said, yeah, let's go get some ethanol. That's how we think about THC. And it's, uh, you know, do you want do you want rum? Do you want whiskey? Do you want a beer? Obviously, with therapeutic effects, not just recreational. But um, there's there's quite a quite a difference between having a shot of Bacardi and having you know a, a Belgian beer, for example, or or a, a red or Penfolds Grange. You know, there's 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 a world of difference between those products, and I, and I think people are starting to realise that that cannabis comes in all those forms as well. Um, depending on those terpene and minor, not minor, just cannabinoid profiles. But um, in saying that, do you, do you have a favourite cannabinoid if we're if we're treating them all as equal? Is there one that you come across that you're like, that's that's my secret sauce. That's that's where I like to go. Well, I mean, not it's it's no secret. I I really recommend that all of my patients use CBD. Um, you know, because I've seen so much benefit from. Sorry, getting crazy here um so much benefit from cbd over the years um that i just want to let people know that that's what they should be using um 
Oh, sorry, getting attacked here. You can probably see that. Um, anyway, that's the that's life in the fast lane, isn't it? Well, um, not so. Yeah, that that's my main. That's that's my go-to. Like whatever else you're doing, take some CBD and take it for the next year, and 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 then we'll talk about all the other yeah. stuff because you know in CBD it just binds to so many cell types in so many different ways, both directly and indirectly with receptors and makes all these things happen. And, and the real world evidence is that most people that I see and report say, well, I, you know, like Billy Connolly said, I've been rich and I've been poor and rich is better. And I think most people say when I've, you know, when I've been on the CBD, I've felt better. And when I've been off it, I haven't felt as good. So for me, that's, that's a very important one, but I'm really interested in, um, learning more about the other cannabinoids and terpenes. I mean, I'm keep, keep an eye out for alpha pinene. I think that's going to be, you know, a really exciting terpene in terms of um, brain function. And I'm thinking, okay, where's that? You know, where do we fit that into? Which products have got that in it? You know, um, hmm. and there's, you know, there's there's bespoke um, cannabis. There are compounding cannabis. There's the, the products that come, them, you know, as the extracts from the plants. Um, the way that it works for me at the moment as a, as a clinician prescribing is I it's easiest, let's say, for me to choose a product or two. And I learn from my patients, well, this looks like the right thing based on what I can see about this product. And then I learn a bit about it from my patients and then I'll use it more and more in other patients and, and build a bit of a stable. And I've, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the way that it works. So I'm, yeah. I'm holding back on, you know, my favorite cannabinoid because I think there will be, um, as we learn about them, there will be different settings. You know, I'm I'm keen, sure. and if any of your listeners are interested, I'm very keen to kind of build a system that can help us identify what this person needs right now. And integrative medicine could do that pretty well as well. So we're adding cannabis products to that stable of patient need. It's interesting that alpha pinene is actually quite prevalent in some hoppy beers that uh you know have those sort of pine needle notes you mentioned that's why you've got you've got such good brain function andrew because yeah well, i was going to say <laughs> I, my brain function tends to uh, to decrease when i'm having a session on those but uh but maybe the alpha is doing what it can um no i, I wanted to ask you carl just do a quick one about um yeah just maybe just some of your um patient experiences obviously anonymized but if, if you could maybe just Give us a, a flavor of, you know, how cannabis has worked with, with your clinic, clinical experiences. Sure. Well, I'll start with the one I mentioned before, you know, one of my favorite stories because um, I'm my, you know, poster girl for CBD. So this is, this is a woman in her 70s, you know, still very busy physically and mentally active, doing lots and lots of things. She had very severe osteoarthritis, especially of the hands. Um, and she, you know, unable to make a fist. She was taking full, you know, maximum paracetamol and, and ibuprofen doses every day for years. She was doing okay with that because it wasn't causing her any negative effects, but it wasn't giving her the benefit that she needed, but it was giving her enough benefit that she wasn't going to stop it. Anyway, she heard that cannabis might be helpful. She came to see me after discussion and she heard the whole cannabis story. She's like, you know what? Just give me the CBD. So this woman is on... A, as far as I remember, she's on 25 milligrams of CBD per day, you know, what we would regard as a, a very low dose. Mm. Um, months down the track, she's no longer taking Panadol or Nurofen at all. She can make a fist. 
and she is really well. And that's just, you know, one cannabinoid, as I say. So you asked me what my favourite is. It's like, well, that's pretty hard to argue with. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, that doesn't happen to everyone. So for whatever reason, she was doing a whole whole lot of other things well and that the way that interacted with her took her to where she needed to be. So in terms of cost and benefit, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, You know, at the other extreme... So I have I have a number of patients and, and that one in particular, you know, um, metastatic cancer, a lot of pain, nausea, in and out of treatment still. Um, and this person's got, you know, they've got a regular CBD oil. They've got a sativa type, you know, like a daytime oil and a nighttime oil and a daytime flower and a nighttime flower. And sometimes those flowers are un- have been unavailable from the distributors at different times. So I've prescribed extra ones for them. So, you know, this person's got sort of seven or eight cannabis products potentially at any one time in their medicine cabinet. And um, they use those extremely well. So we check in every month or two and um, they do very well with them. They're able to keep their other medicines, which they really don't like to take because of side effects to a minimum. And unfortunately, when they go to hospital from time to time, which they do, um, they're not able to use them either at all or anywhere near as much. And then they kind of come out and then back they go onto their cannabis products. They're getting a bit better. The hospital's getting a bit better at allowing them to use them. But that's kind of from the simple, the first story that I told to the, you know, the very complex. And this person's very experienced with those products now and is able to use them as needed at different times of the day or week when they want to just kind of check out be comfortable on their own and get a good rest they do when they want to go shopping they use something else obviously uh, they don't drive when they've got thc on board but that's a you know kind of the gamut of um so, and that's kind of, I, I, it kind of sounds a little bit like the way people use it recreationally overseas, where they have one for different moods or, or environments uh, that people go into. I'm, I'm actually curious as well to know, uh, we talked about this briefly before the podcast, but um, smoking cessation. It, now, we've talked about smoking cessation in terms of people coming off tobacco, for example, and using um, CBD, things like this. But um, an interesting thing you were talking, and I might let you talk about it, is smoking cessation within cannabis to cannabis. Um, so I'd love to hear just a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen that with a few of my patients. It's not necessarily the main reason for the consult, but, but I do see people that come in and literally say, you know, yeah, I smoke 50 bongs a day. Um, and, you know, that's not recreational. You know, that's medicine. That's like 300 milligrams of Seroquel kind of use um so and very often they they may be using some tobacco with that yes or no but most people that use that would much prefer not to be both for cost legality and sheer logistics i mean how do you fit that into your into your day so what i've coming back to cbd what i've found is that i get these people on cbd because almost invariably they're getting lots and lots of thc and a range of other cannabinoids and terpenes they're not getting any CBD because most of those chemovars have very little to no CBD, which is a magnificent molecule that actually, you know, can help other things work much better from an entourage effect. Yeah. So I've seen patients do extremely well. And in fact, that's one of my other 
you know, real success stories, although it's not a pure, um, pure extract of CBD. So a broad spectrum CBD oil that doesn't contain any THC. I have a, a, one patient who's on that who has basically, she is no longer smoking self-sourced cannabis at all. She is just using that CBD oil. Um, and I use the term CBD oil correctly there because it is a CBD oil. Um, yeah. So there, you know, I've seen that work more than once. Um, I don't know yet if that's going to be like anything in medicine and, and in cannabis medicine. I, don't, I wouldn't be able to say, hey, if you smoke a lot of cannabis and you want to stop, come and see me and we'll stop it. But I think there are many sides to that. It's, it's not just the cannabis use. You know, people have a single problem. Um, but dealing with that chemically using a, you know, at least a range of, of cannabinoids and terpenes, including CBD, seems to be a, a useful thing. So I have others not quite as extreme as that particular patient, but um, others who have drastically reduced their, um, let's call it self-sourced cannabis use. Um, there are definitely some who would prefer to use an oil, but they haven't been able to, or they have accessed an oil, but they haven't been able to say whether or not it was really helpful. So I go, well, let's look at the potential for these oils. You know, every time you go to the chemist and get a script filled for this oil, it's going to be the same, more or less. So you can kind of lean on it. You don't have to try and, am I going to run out? Is it going to be different? Um, and people feel much more confident. That's one of the, the great things about having it in, in a kind of a medical context is yeah. that they know their product is available and consistent. And when it's guided in that medical pharmacy kind of realm, uh, it's that in itself probably helps people. I'm, I'm sure it's not only that, but if you can increase the placebo effect to some extent, why not? Yeah, fair enough. And I guess it's always good from a smoking cessation point of view to take away the combustion element and what that does to the uh, to the lungs. But um, just conscious of yeah. time, I'm wanting to get a little piece in about uh, you being a founding member of the ANZ CCP, otherwise known as the college. Can you just take us a little bit through that and what that's doing um, at the moment? Sure. Yeah, well, we're actually, we've just realised we're about a year old now, perhaps a little older. So there are there are five of us founding members. We're all um, cannabis, you know, medical cannabis practitioners, prescribers of variable experience, but the same kind of level of passion with a range of different skill sets. And we came together because we realised we needed to, you know, work together as doctors, um, serving doctors to serve their patients better in terms of, you know, quality prescribing, advocating for medical cannabis where necessary. Um, we have a forum that doctors work we talk together, you know, it's really important for doctors to have a, a safe and secure environment where we can kind of just literally riff off ideas without mm. the, the fear of getting in trouble or, you know, what about this? What about that? So that that's hugely important. Um, and we, you know, we're working, we're working more and more in that direction. And it's, it's very exciting to be, uh, to be a member of that college. And do you, and, do you, uh, and do you pick up happen. So would you, I imagine you'd probably pick up tips here and there from other doctors saying, hey, I tried this out and this kind of worked really well in this clinical indication and, and um, maybe give that a shot or, you know, that could help your patient or is that the kind of thing that goes on there? Like actually discussing specific products? Uh, there's a bit of that. There's also, um, you know, logistics, um, you know, what would you do in this setting? So, yeah, I mean, that a whole range of, of basically doctor to doctor questions about that sort of issue. Um, yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, and do you kind of also share, I guess, um, just research insights? We know there's a lot of unknowns still in medical cannabis and part of the reason that people seem to be interested in trying it is, you know, not least from some anecdotal evidence that seems to be quite prevalent. But uh, do you guys follow the, you know, I guess the latest um, research that, that's coming out in medical cannabis? I'd like to say, yes, we do. And I'm sure there are some that do more than others. What we definitely do officially is every month we have what we call grand rounds, which is a term that we use in medicine for somebody presents a case. And then we kind of pick apart one or more aspects of that case and bring to it the latest in the medical literature. So what we do monthly is um, for members of the college, somebody presents a case and then somebody else will present or sometimes the same person exactly that. You know, what do we know about these issues with relevance to the latest in medical literature and medical cannabis. So, um, you know, it's, it's, there's so much going on. I mean, I get emails, you know, every few days, here's this, here's that. It's like most things in medicine and in integrative medicine, even more so in general practice, you know, absolutely everything is relevant. So um, I try to stay as close to the front as I can. And I think we as a college, that's a reason for us to do that. We're kind of learning from and with each other and recognizing where the holes are and trying to make sure that we all feel like we're doing the right thing for our peers and especially and mainly for our patients. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of information in that and almost enough to put together some kind of resource <laughs> that uh, might Oh, help. absolutely. Yeah. 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 If you want to give us a hand with that, we'd be happy to accept that we're, uh, we're, we're, you know, as usual, time and resource poor, but we've, you know, but the data is pouring in. Yep. Yeah, well, we've got, yeah. got a couple of hands here. We can always help out with a bit of transcribing if you need. <laughs> um, but I'm just conscious of time. Uh, I know you're a very busy doctor. So I uh, will end possibly on this last question that we like to ask sometimes our guests, which is, do you see a future with adult recreational use in Australia? And if so, what do you think the timeline is on that? Uh, great question. Um, the you know the societal political environment in Australia obviously is unique to Australia. Um, the the pressures lobbying and um, you know on on policy and legislation is you know there's some of it which is kind of obvious and a lot of it which is isn't which isn't. Um, and I think we'd all be you know aghast if we really found out who pulls the strings over what happens in this country yes or no so i think a lot of the reason why cannabis isn't already you know recreationally legal is it doesn't really have anything to do with its safety um but we i think we you know many of us know that anyway so i i couldn't begin to predict the timeline because as usual the you know the more that it looks like it's going that way the lobbies that don't want it to happen will probably get stronger and be even clever in their manipulating of whatever it is they need to manipulate. But I, I would think that eventually, the, as I've done before, the balance will tip. But given how things are in Australia at the moment, barring a, a massive shift in that direction, it, you know, it's going to be a decade or more, I would think. I mean, CBD over the counter notwithstanding, but how is that going to work? You know, we don't even have one product yet that we can do it. Yeah. It's all where's the evidence, all of that stuff. So that's, that's how I would, yeah, predict it at the moment. Brilliant. Well, I think that's about all we have time for today, Andrew. No, that was great. Um, it's 4.20, so it's as good a time as any for us to, uh, to all sign out. Um, but uh, 
No, Gail, just wanted to say thank you very much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure um, just sort of picking your brain and, and getting your insights um, in your day-to-day clinical experience as a doctor and really excited about all the work that you're doing with ANZCCP. So, yeah, thanks so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Great to talk to you guys and thanks for putting this out so people can learn more and benefit more from cannabis. Oh, indeed. Terrific. All right. Appreciate it. Cheers. Talk soon.